0: You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Dan Sheiks, talking about his brand new book, First to a Million, A Teenager's Guide to Achieving Early Financial Independence. A lot of parents tell me they have difficulty discussing finances with teenagers. Teenagers kinda they don't necessarily want to listen to they're talking about saving and investing. Sounds kind of boring and retirement is so far off. But Dan is part of a movement about early financial independence. He is a high school business teacher and he is passionate about teaching teenagers early financial freedom strategies so they can live their best lives. Sometimes teenagers get a lot more receptive to talking about saving, investing, and finances when you explain that there are many people who are able to retire in their 20s and do whatever they want for the rest of their life. Instead of working your whole life until you're 65, there's a a growing movement of people who are putting some simple strategies into use in their teens and 20s so that they can achieve financial independence really early. It's really simple, but it's not easy. And Dan has made a practice of studying how this is done and studying the best ways to teach this stuff to teenagers. And now he's put all of it into his new book, First to a Million. Really excited to speak with him about how parents can have better finance decisions with their kids. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. So talk to me about this. You uh, have a new book just coming out here. Um, first to a million be different about money, be bold about your future, be a five freak. Wow. So talk to me about where this came from. Um, it says it's a teenager's guide to achieving early financial independence. What got you interested in teaching finance to teenagers and why did you decide to write a book about it?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'll try to keep it short. So my main gig is I am a high school business teacher. Uh, And so I've been teaching things like marketing and personal finance and entrepreneurship to teenagers for almost 20 years. I love my job. Very passionate about my job. Love what I do. Excited to go to work every day. Uh, But then it was probably about six or seven years ago, my wife and I found this kind of newer movement called the FIRE movement movement. Which stands for financial independence retire early. Um, Although I'm not a big fan of that word retire as it fits in there, but it does make for a nice acronym. So it sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So when we found that, we really dove into the ideas of passive income and real estate investing and frugality and savings rates, um, even side hustles. We have some side hustles. And we started kind of mapping out our way to early. Financial independence, or FI, some people call F.I. FI, financial independence, all the same thing. So, once I got into that, two or three years, and really kind of had my eyes opened to these different possibilities, these different options, it was kind of a natural next step for me to say, "All right, I want to take this stuff to my my audience, and my audience in the classroom are my students, right? These yeah. juniors and seniors, these teenagers that I have in class, anyway." So I started teaching them about the early financial independence strategies, topics, Uh, concepts. And then I thought, why stop there? So I created a a website and an online community to do the same thing. And then when all that was going on, I decided why not write a book to reach even more people? Because this is stuff that I think young people just, honestly, all people should be aware of these options. And since my niche is kind of the, 15 to 25 year old, I thought, well, let's write a book.
0: So how do kids usually respond to this when you bring this into your classes and start uh, talking to teenagers about these ideas? Um, Is this kind of something that their eyes glaze over and they're like, yeah, okay, saving money, whatever. Or is this kind of exciting?
1: I think it's pretty exciting. I I think teenagers, just like all the other generations that have come before them, have been sold on the one option, the, the typical American dream pathway, yeah, which is, which is not a bad one. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but that is, you know, the, the nine to five till you're 65 grind, and then you get to retire and it is proven. And it's, it's a very noble way to live. I don't have anything against it, but my, yeah. my argument would be there are other options and we should all know about the other options so we can make the, the choice that's best for us.
0: So, you talk in here about some of the benefits of this, just in terms of having freedom, control of your life, freedom over your time. And you say, you know, it gives you the ability to reclaim decades of your life. How is that?
1: Yeah. So, if when someone reaches financial independence, the definition of that is that somebody has enough money saved plus money invested plus passive income. to pay for their living expenses. And so when you get there, you don't have to work anymore. Um, It's the same idea as when people get to age 65 and they've saved up enough in their retirement accounts or maybe a pension. And they say, you know what? I'm 65. I can spend the next 25, 30 years not working and live off of my investments and my savings and my pension and my retirement account. So it's just about speeding that process up and making intentional money decisions that bring down your expenses and increase your savings rate, and allow you to get there sooner and faster, which then gives you more years at the end of your life to to do what you want. And most people who are motivated enough to get there early are not the kinds of people who just stop. They don't like sit on the beach and drink margaritas for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Right. They continue to create and contribute and, and just they they choose what they do, when they do, how they do it with who they do it. But they're still creating and earning many times, uh, but they have the freedom to do it
0: on their own terms. Yeah, because I could see that being as something parents would be worried about. Like, well, okay, if I uh, get, get my kids all excited about these ideas, then are they just going to go and want to retire when they're 25 and not do nothing. And, um, I think, I think that's not the case. I think, uh, as you point out, it really, it gives you freedom to make choices that are not motivated by money. So you can do things that are meaningful to you and decide, um, mm-hmm. really how you want to spend your time in the most meaningful way possible.
1: Yeah. And I was going to say the book that I wrote, which is, it is a personal finance book for teenagers, but it's, it's really much more niche because it is about early financial independence that's the yeah. the main message in the book i would be honest and say that you know my book is not for every teenager there are many great personal finance books out there that every teenager should read mine is more it's it's for that smaller much smaller percentage of teenagers who are super motivated and interested to learn about their financial future now as a teenager. That is not every teenager. I can tell you from being in a classroom with teenagers every day that most (laughs) teens, they do not want to think about
0: their money. They want
1: to think about a lot of other things, but their financial future, retirement, financial security, that is way, but there are are teenagers and young people who are thinking about that now and who are super motivated to learn about that now. So those teenagers, this book was written for them.
0: So you talking here about a, uh, a a TED talk you really like, I guess, with these questions mm-hmm. every teenager needs to be asked.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the, the uh, he asks, what do you see yourself doing in 15 years? And what would you be doing in 15 years if you could do absolutely anything?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just love that. And um, I think that's such an important conversation to have with your teenagers really get them thinking because so, so much of what we tell teenagers or, um, what we get them thinking about in terms of their future is like this preset path kind of, or this, like, um, it feels like things that they have to do or this track that they sort of have to be on. And I love this question because it just gets them, um, like Thinking so much more creatively about what their future could be.
1: Uh, and, that TED Talk you uh, referred to was was done by by a teenager for teenagers, and it's really good. Um, and when he asked those two questions, because he did some research, so he asked okay. a bunch of young people those those exact questions. And the first one he posed it, and he worded it very carefully. He said, "What do you see yourself doing in 15 years?" Ah. And then they would answer the question. And yeah, those okay. questions were formed. The teenager is answering that question based on all of their input, their family input, their teacher input, their counselor input, their societal input, their own input. And most people would say, well, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be an engineer. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a nurse, whatever. Yeah. Then he said, okay, forget that question. Completely clear your mind of everything you've ever been told and every other outside influence and answer this question. If you could be doing anything that you would want to do and, you know, 15 years from now, what would you be doing then? If you could do whatever you wanted to. And the, the answers changed almost always, not, not always. Some people still said, I want to be a doctor. I really want to help people. Sure. But some people said, instead of being an engineer, you know, I kind of want to run a surf shop on the beach in California. Or some people maybe said, you know, I'd like to be uh, traveling and writing a travel blog. I really like to travel and review restaurants and hotels, and, you know, Yeah. So his point was that we are, to a certain degree, you know, kind of put onto a path for 50, 45 years of our life from age 21 to 65 that we maybe don't really want to be on, but we're just told, well, this is the way you're supposed to do it. So he was trying to open our eyes up to say, there are other options. There are, and, and your dreams can be the way that you go if you just do it intentionally and with with a game plan in place
0: and it's like we don't give ourselves permission to even think those thoughts or even go there um, consider what we would really want to be doing because we are feel so trapped by what we're supposed to do and i love these questions to just kind of yeah just get you really thinking about that
1: I would challenge parents to um, maybe even read my book themselves first to kind of open their eyes to the different path. It's a proven method to to reach financial independence early. Um, Hundreds and hundreds of people have done it. And I have speakers come to my class and talk to my kids who have done it. And it's it's not a get rich quick scheme. It's not a, a scheme of any kind. It's not a scam. It's just a different way of dealing with your money and making your financial decisions. So I would say parents read it first, then give it to your kids and have them read it. And then have these discussions about what do you really want to do with your life? Yeah. If, you, if you didn't have to do the 60 work till your are 65 plan, what would your life look like? And if you're so motivated to go that direction, are you so motivated enough to do these things differently over the next five or 10 years of your life. Cause not everyone is, which is, why oh, this right.
0: is not- it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. I like that. I think that's really cool. And, um, I wonder, like, I think just even watching that Ted talk together and starting to have these conversations with your kids would be so valuable.
1: Yeah. And if I could give parents some other advice, just general personal finance advice for your yep. teenagers, um, I think, unfortunately, most parents are like everyone else in America. Most of us are. Our society is financially illiterate. We know enough to get by, but we really don't know a lot about money and how it works. Um, And that's okay. If you're a parent and you're not confident about your own money knowledge, that's okay. Don't let that be the barrier that stops you from talking to your kids about money. Um, Learn with them. Learn along with them. But I think one of the best things you can do as parents is to include your teenagers or younger, you know, even if they're 10, 11, 12, include them in the small business that is your family household and include them in paying the bills, include them in, uh, show them how much money you make, show them your, your monthly bank statements, show them where you invest your money, have them run the computer and click the mouse to pay your monthly bills, to balance your, your checkbook or to make investments into your brokerage account, your 401k, whatever, have them run it, you know? And another thing is to give your teenager, an, make them an authorized user on your credit card, which is a phenomenal way to let them learn and make mistakes while they're, while they're at your house, while they're still controllable, yep. um, rather than when they're off to college or off in the real world. And then they make mistakes much, much bigger than they would have made while they're at home with you
0: yeah 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 you worry that oh man what's gonna happen if i let them do that but it seems like it's gonna be not as bad as what might happen if (laughs) they don't um, have any experience with the credit card until they're totally off on their own exactly What is the difference between a real asset and a false asset?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a whole chapter in the book about that, Andy. I'm glad you asked that question because most people de- define asset the same way. It's something you own that has value.
0: Yeah, it's worth money and contributes to your net worth.
1: Yeah, if you had to sell your bike, you could get $100. So that's an asset. Yeah. And that's, that's the standard definition. In the, in the financial independence world, they treat it a little differently and they break assets into two classes, real mm. assets and false assets. Okay. False assets are things that you own that do have value, but they cost you money. They take money from your wallet yeah. or from your bank account. Right. So a car, a car is a great example. A car is worth money, but when you yeah. add up the expenses of depreciation, especially and gas and insurance and registration... wear and tear and maintenance and repairs, that asset is costing you money every single day that you own it versus other assets, real assets that put money into your pocket every day. Um, So that book that you're holding, that is my book. It is something I own. It's my book. And now that I own it, it will contribute money to me. I mean, I don't own every copy, but I own the rights to the book, right? So it's going to make money for me. A real estate investment property is my favorite example of a real asset. It's something that you own, but your tenants pay, the, pay you rent, and that covers your expenses, and it appreciates over time. You get some cash flow. You get some yeah. tax benefits. So it's an asset that you own. You could sell it and get money for it, but if you don't sell it, it's going to, it's going to increase your net worth every single day.
0: Yeah. So you got to rent your bike out to all your friends.
1: you could rent your bike you can rent your car out there's um you know toro is a great thing you can turn that false asset into a real asset by renting it out when you don't use it
0: yeah so it's not it's about kind of how you use the thing or uh it's not even necessarily about the thing itself
1: yeah it can you can change your strategy on how you use your assets to 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 change them from false to real yeah
0: so it's an interesting exercise to start going through all the things you own. And have- there's a new
1: there's a new trend going on out there. People who own people who have swimming pools in their backyards can rent out their swimming pools to oh. people in their in their neighborhood. Na- people it's kind of like uh, an Airbnb, but for so they come over, they use your swimming pool, and then they leave. It's kind of weird, but if you do that three or four times a month, it probably pays for all of the maintenance and upkeep uh, and repairs uh, and chemicals. And cleaning of your pool, and so now that false asset is now a real asset. It's making you money. Plus, you get to use it whenever you want.
0: Uh, so similarly, there are also different kinds of debt. You say there is bad debt, and there's good debt. What is the difference?
1: Yeah, there's so that there's a chapter about that too, and it's kind of similar to the asset thing. Um, okay, bad debt is is debt that. Um, Cost you money. Uh, student loan debt is bad debt, credit card debt, a car loan debt, that is bad debt. It is, it's costing you money in the form of interest, and you it's the net value of that debt is not creating a higher net worth. Good debt, however, I'll go back to the real estate investment property. Sure. You have to get you, you don't have to get a mortgage, but likely you're going to get a mortgage to buy that real estate investment property. But again, the tenant's rent covers all the expenses, including the loan payments, the interest and principal for that loan payment. And so that by virtue of having that mortgage on that investment property allows you to make the cash flow and appreciation and tax benefits um, and building um, more equity in that property as your tenants pay down your mortgage. So good debt is debt that is increasing your net worth. Bad debt is debt that's taken away from it.
0: so you kind of point out there's different kinds of jobs and you refer to something that you call next level jobs what are those and how do i get one
1: (laughs) for teenagers um a next level job is something that you that you do while you're a teenager uh, that is going to allow you to to reach your goals and so if the teenager reading this book if if their goal is early financial independence, then, and you're going to have a job, get a job that's going to catapult you down this pathway. So for example, um, instead of working at the local restaurants or the, um, um, well, there's a caveat there. If your goal is to own a restaurant, then sure. work at the restaurant, right? I see. Yeah. But if your goal is to... um I don't know if your goal is to, to buy some rental properties eventually, or if your goal is to just have some side hustles, you know, yeah. find a job that's going to network you into future jobs or find a job that's at least in that, that industry so that, you know, down the road when you decide uh, I'm going to be a full-time real estate investor or, or really try to invest in real estate. So work with a real estate agent today or a property management manager today or a mortgage broker yep. today so that you're getting the experience as well as a paycheck and you're network, networking with people who can help you further your path um, in the future.
0: Yeah, it's like you're going to be putting in hours and getting a paycheck no matter kind of what type of work you do. You might as mm-hmm. well find some work that's going to be moving you towards where you want to be going.
1: Yeah, some people call that working to learn instead of working to earn. Um, And I I work with young people. I work with a lot of young people and some of them are so interested in certain industries or or career fields or jobs that they'll volunteer. They'll go to the the real estate agent office and they'll say, I just want to volunteer. I just want to come here 10 or 15 hours a week. I will do it for free. But then what usually happens is once that office the, the office manager sees that this young person is motivated, hardworking, they show up on time, they're, yeah. they're professional, they dress well, they're dependable, they're going to find a job for them and they're totally. going to start giving yeah. them a paycheck. But that's not the real reason that they're there, even if they never do get a paycheck. It's about the connections. It's about the the free education that they're getting while they're there doing the work for the real estate office or you know whatever business it happens to be.
0: Yeah, and that's where that whole exercise of what you really wanna be doing in 15 years and um, thinking through those possibilities for your future then can give you some ideas of uh, how to start finding next level jobs that can start work, working you towards that. So you talked about a few concepts in here that are pretty cool. Um, and another one is house hacking. Yes. What is is that? Um, is that uh, somehow um, getting past the cybersecurity systems of a house so <laughs> that you can um, so that you can disable the security system and get inside?
1: Yeah, it kind of sounds like that's what it is. But house hacking is a uh, a real estate investing strategy that I think is by far the best strategy for young people to get started into real estate. And I've, I've yeah. mentioned real estate quite a bit on this episode. Yeah. My book, is not a, it's not about real estate investing. It's, okay. it's a piece of it. But yeah. house hacking is definitely something I think all young people should at least consider. And it, young people I work with are buying properties to house hack at age 19, age 20, age 21, pretty early. And so what it looks like is what house hacking is, is you, is you buy a property and it, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But let's say you buy a house that has yeah. four, four bedrooms, five bedrooms. Um, that teenager or that young person is going to live in one bedroom and they're going to rent out the other bedrooms. And they're yeah. going to be the property manager because it's their house. So they're going to manage that property while living there, which teaches them a whole nother skill set and, and different strategies. But um, you always want to run the numbers first, analyze the property, because the goal is yeah. then that the rent from those four bedrooms Pays for all of the expenses, so that that young person is basically living there for free. Now they're they're spending their time to manage the property, and they have to you know be mature enough to do that. Yeah. But what that does is it allows them to start learning how to manage properties. It allows them to start building equity because they are every month that their tenants pay the mortgage, they're building equity because the mortgage is getting paid down. The property is probably going to appreciate. Real estate does tend to appreciate really really well. Yeah, Um, and they get great tax benefits, and it's doable because as a primary residence, which it is, this young person is going to live there for at least a year. Yeah, you know there are loans out there that you can get into that property for as little as three and a half percent down, and so that's not a lot of money for a young person to save.
0: Yeah,
1: Uh, it's definitely doable if they save for three, four, five years to come up with that down payment. Now you want to have some extra money some emergency fund money yeah. for that property. And there might be some initial fix up that needs to be done depending on the property's condition. Right. But you, again, you just kind of roll all those numbers in when you analyze the property and it is an, it is an amazing way to start building net worth, building real estate investing strategies and putting your money to work. You're investing three and a half percent into an asset. Right. You're leveraging that money into a, a very, uh, you know, a, much more expensive asset that, generally speaking, is going to do well over time.
0: And wow. Think of all the responsibility you develop, having to deal with um, renters and Mm -hmm. drama and um, Mm -hmm. getting people to pay on time every month and um, having a fund for when things go wrong and you need to redo the roof and fix the flood in the basement. and whatever else comes up. So yep, I love that idea. Yeah, it's really cool. Hey, we're here today with Dan Sheiks talking about how to help your teenagers achieve early financial independence. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show
1: and I've met many people who have done this, the the danger of pursuing early financial independence is that some people get so narrow focused, laser focused on that goal that they don't allow themselves to have fun or do things that they enjoy until they get there. And that's not the point. The point of early financial independence is to have more time and to have more happiness because of that time. And you should still be doing that fun stuff and, and you should still be happy in the pursuit of, early financial. Independence. If you're not, then you're doing it wrong. You need to let off the gas pedal a little bit. College is a really tough topic to talk about with teenagers and parents of teenagers because sometimes emotion does come into play. So most people are familiar with a budget. You take out a piece of paper and you say, all right, for the month of January, I'm going to I'm going to budget this much for my rent, this much for yeah. my food, this much for my entertainment, this much for my gas. And you know, you try to make it so that your income is more than your budget, you're not spending more every month than you make. And that's there's nothing wrong with the budget. I'm not knocking it, but it's not the best strategy. The best strategy is to track your income and expenses. And there are many different free apps that will do this for you and they're and they're really slick to use. You can even do, you know, old school, have a Google sheet or even write it down on a piece of paper. You know, young people don't have a lot of expenses and income, so it's not that difficult to track all your income and expenses. But as you do that and you categorize the money you're spending, you see exactly how much you're spending. So maybe in the month of January, you see that you spend $100 on food, like on restaurants, eating out, not not groceries, but just so when you track your expenses, you can say, all right, $100, that seems kind of like a lot. This month I'm going to try to spend only ninety dollars, but with a budget, if you set a budget at hundred bucks, then you're much more likely to, to spend up to oh, that. Yeah, Is oh, that that's your so much I can spend. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like that's that's your threshold. But when you track your expenses and you leave the budget out of the picture, it's it's more of a a mind frame of how do I spend less yeah. so that so that I can look at these numbers and they can be lower. Not that you want to eliminate your happiness or you don't want to ever spend money don't do that but i think tracking income and expenses is more effective for saving money than, than a budget is
0: want to hear the full interview sign up for a subscription today you get access to all the interviews i've conducted as well as new episodes weeks before the general public it's completely affordable and Your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.